1: Hello and welcome to the Philly Boots Rugby Roundtable with me, Sean Phelan. Each week I chat with a panel of players, coaches and volunteers who make our great game happen. Check out all the previous episodes in video and podcast form by checking out fybrugby.com. This week I hosted a live Q&A session with RFU Rugby Development Director Steve Granger and I put your questions on all things grassroots rugby to him. Let's get on with the show. Hi everyone. Uh, welcome to this very special edition of the Rugby Roundtable. Uh, my name is Sean Phelan and if you don't know who I am, I am the face behind, uh, Philly Boots, the, the grassroots rugby, uh, player exchange. Uh, just want to welcome everyone to our viewers on Facebook live, uh, who have been us sort of with us for the last sort of eight weeks, uh, but also for the first time to our viewers on Twitter and YouTube. Uh, so if you haven't seen a rugby roundtable before, uh, we normally chat with three or four people um, about an issue in the grassroots game, and uh, we share ideas, and uh, you know, we, we have a great discussion. And, and hopefully, people learn from it. Uh, but today is slightly different. Uh, today uh, we are going to be hosting q and A Q&A with the Rugby Development F- uh, Director of the RFU, Mr. Steve Granger. How are you, sir?
0: Yeah, not bad at all, Sean. Thanks, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on tonight.
1: Uh, thanks for uh, giving, uh, I really, really appreciate it. Uh, this is probably going to be sort of the, the uh, I'm not an interviewer, so this is probably going to be sort of the biggest thing that we do here on the roundtable. Um, so I just wanted to thank you for giving up your time. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, where should we start? Uh, how has lockdown been uh, for you, for the RFU in sort of the last few months? Um, in a nutshell, really.
0: Yeah, it's been pretty challenging, hasn't it, for all of us? I mean, um, you know, we, we just got the uh, the Wales weekend of the the Six Nations through the the, um, the both games there, and then um, to to go into uh, to lockdown, which I think many of us just expected it to be uh, a few weeks or a few months. Uh, the quick decision that we had to take to sort of close down the domestic season, which I know uh, many. Sort of weren't too pleased about at the time, but I think clearly with the whole country going into lockdown a week later, it it, it turned out to be the right decision. Um, we haven't really been in the office uh, since then. Um, many people probably aware Twickenham's been turned into a, um, a testing centre, um, and um, yeah, it's been a it's been a pretty challenging uh, few months uh, from from a lot of fronts. And as we get closer to the start of what would normally be the next season, things get even more challenging, I think, for uh, for all of us. But uh, the way that the rugby community has responded, uh, the way that clubs and volunteers managed to lock down facilities and clubs has just been unbelievable. And then to see many of the great things that clubs have done in their local communities, um, we've just got to hope that once we do get back to some degree of normality, that those communities will, uh, will pay back that support to those individual clubs
1: yeah hopefully uh there's some great stuff going on uh uh, in the clubs um uh people are doing some brilliant things whether it's been um doing the shopping for for vulnerable people or uh hosting quizzes to raise money for the club uh i I think actually what has been going on in the club game uh has been in so uh shout out to everyone involved in that um so the, the format of tonight is that Steve has very kindly given up uh, about 45 minutes of his time to answer your questions, really, uh, and perhaps give some clarity on a few things um, that in and amongst, well, there are a few, and uh, a few other things that are uh, going on. But If you want to ask a question, please just comment, put it in the comments, put it in the chat, put it underneath the, the Twitter uh, post with video, uh, and we will do our very best to get these questions answered. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess we, we, we get into it now, um, and I guess we start with the biggest elephant in the room, and this is probably the most requested question, is now that you know a, lo- a lot of people, a lot of good people um, have lost their uh, what is the structure uh, of the community game going forward? yeah let's
0: let I mean let me start with a little bit of context on it and the reasons why um we've had to make the changes that we've made and nobody nobody ever wants to re- restructure organizations remodel organizations and most of all make people uh, our colleagues and have many cases become friends um redundant but I think what it might help just to do is just understand the, the financial impact on, on the RFU. Uh, the RFU is now different really than any uh, other rugby club. We generate the revenue from activity that happens on the pitch, largely at Twickenham, and off the pitch activities, largely at Twickenham. So whether that's Six Nations matches, Autumn Internationals, um, whether it's conferences, exhibitions, um, food and beverage sales, etc. And clearly with no rugby happening and no uh off-field activity happening the impact on uh revenue has been massive uh so we um revenue was down for the last quarter of the 2019-20 year by about 15 million and the projections for the current financial year that we're in so our financial year runs from the the first of july to the 30th of june the revenue projections are down somewhere between 60 and 107 million and, and from a context point of view, revenue this this year was predicted to be somewhere between 150 and 160 million. So you can see those figures are they're seismic, um, and our, all of our projections are that this is going to take between four and five years to recover from. So there will be a residual effect of somewhere between 15 and 20 million a year for the next um, for the next four to five years. So we've had to uh, look at um, reducing the cost base of the organisation and that impacts right across the, right across the board. Um, unfortunately, as an organisation, we end up with quite a high fixed cost base in some areas. So as an example, the thing that helps us generate all the money is owning our own stadium, Twickenham. But the thing that costs a lot of money to keep operating nowadays is that same stadium, Twickenham um you know it's an aging asset uh it's depreciating it needs a lot of maintenance and if it isn't generating revenue then the cost is still there um to bring in the revenue work with commercial partners do broadcast deals you you can't cut those sorts of investments 95 percent of our revenue is generated from the england senior men's team um so people then ask questions about well why aren't we reducing the money to the professional game and the high performance end of the game ultimately that's the the revenue generator um so we've had to make reductions right across the organization however the the community rugby piece the rugby development piece um has taken a disproportionate hit there's no doubt about that and we've had to reduce our numbers significantly um the, the, what I would say is that, um, and this the, the point we've constantly made to all of our, our staff who are affected, is this absolutely isn't a statement about ineffectiveness or about things not working in the past. It's a, a statement about how things are going to have to be different in the future. Uh, we're no different than any other union in the world. You, you, you follow rugby around the globe. You'll know that if down under in Australia and New Zealand, where COVID hasn't hit anywhere near as hard, the actual reductions that the New Zealand and Australian Union have had to make are even more significant and severe than than ours. Every other sport is doing it here. Football, we're ahead of us, cricket are about a month behind us. So the impact on all of our revenues is 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 significant. And I think anybody on the this call that that works in business, or most people that work in business, have been affected in a in a similar in a similar way. Um, And the the second point to that is we need to keep remembering as well that the the vast majority, you know, 99-plus percent of rugby is delivered by clubs and volunteers. And our role, in whatever shape we are, however size, however big an organisation we are, whatever resource we have, has to be to support those efforts. Um, And um, that's where we will reboot going forward. We'll have 100 less staff involved. But we will still have a network of um, club developers. We'll have a network of coach developers. Um, we'll have other teams of people who will be out working with clubs and Cbs to develop rugby. They'll just be doing it in a in a different way. Uh, we're going through the recruitment process for those posts at the moment. We're um, very much hoping that uh, uh, the many of the people that are currently out there that you'll know as rugby development officer or community rugby coaches will secure those those new roles. They'll just be less of them and they'll be they'll be working in a, a different way. Um, and that's going to be a challenge for us all. but what lockdown has showed us is there are different ways of working. Um, you know we've had a lot of calls, a lot of virtual calls. We probably had more contact with many clubs during lockdown than we might do normally. It's a lot easier to get people on a on a Zoom call, a Skype call, a Teams call, a Google Hangouts call, or whatever. And that use of technology is is definitely gonna um, be part of our be part of our future. Um, so we, yeah, I mean we we're feeling it as much as anybody. As I said at the start, you never want to let your your colleagues go, um, but we we must keep recognizing that it's volunteers who ultimately deliver all sport and particularly our sport.
1: um uh, what was get okay, on then what is the difference between these cuts now and the cuts that happened maybe 18 months ago because 18 it was about what 18 months ago that there was a first round of cuts and now we've got a second round of cuts does that are, are you not is some people will think that the the community sort of been the one left behind here is that right is that fair
0: um, I'd, I'd, I wouldn't say, I mean, the, the, the two situations and circumstances are vastly different. I mean, two, two, two years ago, um, we, as I think we said at the time, you know, we, we had to make some reductions. We had to reshape our overall organisation. We had to reduce our, our our cost base at that time, the broadcast market, and you have to constantly do this. If revenue, your costs are staying high, but revenues are coming down, um you can't magic revenues out of somewhere therefore you've got to do something about that 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 cost base um we had to do that unfortunately two years ago the scale of it was you know tiny really compared to what it what it is now this is entirely covid related um you know there aren't too many organizations at the moment that are that are growing i think you only need to Open the actual newspaper or the virtual newspaper every morning, and you're reading again about companies in all sorts of different industries that are having to that are having to make having to make reductions. Um, you know, we will still have a significant um, uh, pool of people out on the ground, um, bigger than the majority of other governing bodies of sport in this country by several several fold. And our job now really is just to, to maximize that and focus that effort and energy. You know, still having over a hundred people out on the ground in community rugby, it's, that's bigger than many of the other governing bodies of sport in their, in their entirety.
1: Okay. So, so you saying so we, we lost a hundred yeah, great men and women, but 40 of those will be re-employed as the new RDO, for example. Is that, is that, is that correct?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, we we'll lose in total. We've lost um, just over a hundred people from a rugby development team that was two hundred and thirty strong. So we've um, we've 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 lost, it, but we've had to remodel in order to do that because just trimming the numbers of the current structure, and again, many people that do done organizational remodeling will know what you can't do is just take. You know, you can't just say we'll have 25% less community rugby coaches and we'll have 30% less rugby development officers. Because the reality is, you're then asking them to cover a bigger area doing the same job. And it just gets to the point where the scalability of it is a lot, a lot, a lot less. Um, so we ended up putting about 180 people at risk, 80 um, odd new roles created, 100 roles going. And yeah, people will. Uh, hopefully well they will transition into those uh, into those roles and there's it's very hard to know where to where to go I mean I know I I see a question coming in about um, you know will the government actually intervene Um, clearly you're always talking to government but government have made it pretty clear here that the level of their intervention um, is is not going to be it be anything you know they've been asked to intervene aren't they around every aspect of life at the moment um and uh they've made it pretty clear that they're not going to bail us out
1: okay okay so although 100 people were made redundant 40 of them are essentially going to be re-employed so net it's 60 people that's been made redundant
0: no, one hundred and eighty people were put at risk, um, and a hundred roles have been removed. So there's a hun- there'll be a hundred less people. So a hundred people okay. will ultimately end up being made redundant. And I say ultimately uh, because you so still so in again, a- this-
1: Yeah. So, uh, again, there's there's a question coming in from Samantha White. I'm involved in grassroots level, concerned about the reduced support on the local club game. I can obviously only talk for the the clubs I'm involved with, also my club. Um, We probably speak to our, well, we spoke to our RDO probably once in four years, up until about two years ago. And then it's, you know, once every six months. If there's... If his their times are now going to be significantly spread, are the clubs like mine, which is a very, very small club, one team, no assets, going to get less opportunities to have talks and, and uh, development with their representative than, than perhaps a bigger club? Is, is that a fair statement?
0: Uh, no, I don't. I don't think so. I think what we what we will be doing is, I mean, you can't. Not every club needs the support. Um, some clubs have maybe been over reliant on the support. Some clubs have had a disproportionately high level of support. Some haven't wanted any support. Some haven't had any support. So, whenever resources are thinner on the ground, the the, the challenge is going to be getting them to the clubs that need them most. And there are also a lot of opportunities, I think, to link clubs together that have got the same challenges. Uh, so, you know, the bottom line is we've got about 1,200 voting clubs at the RFU. They're, they're everything from, you know, huge clubs running four or five adult sides, a couple of women's sides, um, big 800 strong mini and junior section, right down to a one team. 22 playing members that are operating out of a, a pub and everything in and everything in between. So if you've got 1,200 clubs, um, and well, we're going to have teams of, clubs we've you've got had, 15. Like, you've got 15 <laughs> players. Yeah. <laughs> um.
1: I'll 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 shrink to about 15, 16. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, we're exactly what you just said. One team. One team. Yeah. yeah. So have fifteen. You know, but,
0: uh, the, the level of, of the account. level of support you probably need is is a lot a lot less uh, a lot more a lot less limited really. So um, operating in a different way uh, so during lockdown, I've been involved every week Monday and many weeks Tuesday evenings with just a group of clubs in different areas of the country. Dead easy to jump on a Skype call for an hour with a group of six clubs. So I might argue the inter- you might expect the interaction to increase. I mean, like many people are saying this. Why have we never done this before? Um, you know, the new norm is to jump on calls, isn't it? And to see six, eight faces and to be able to have an hour's meeting. And we've done it a lot lately where individual clubs have had a particular challenge they want to talk to us about, where it would have taken a long time to... You know, jump in a car, drive to the other end of the country, drive back for four or five people to do it. It's it's dead simple now. So we, this is going to be about working differently, and it's also going to be about helping clubs who are achieving great things on their own to share that with clubs that might be struggling a little bit. So moving probably more to a a facilitator type uh, role here, where we. are we're connecting people and helping them ultimately to to help themselves.
1: Yeah, uh, sounds good. Uh, I guess the proof will be when we we can actually get back playing rugby. We won't know until then, I guess. Uh, and you've uh, filled the roles, and um, people are back getting uh, rugby back on the park. Let's talk about the park. Um, there's a question from Natalie. Um, the men's numbers are shrinking at grassroots levels while women's and youth play numbers are growing. What advice would you give to, a- to increase male participation in rugby?
0: Yeah, it's a it's a great, it's so
1: a great, this great question, Natalie. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic no. question it is, you know, this is, this is exactly what Philly Boots was, was born out of was the fact that there was plenty of men's teams around uh, the Surrey area that couldn't fill the 15, including my own. Um, so, you know, what can be done? What are the RFU going to put in place to to help those numbers grow?
0: So i think in, um it's a great it's a great question and it's the absolute it's the nub of the challenge that faces the sport and we often um we often say that if you could if you could uh, if you had one wish it would be to to take a 15 year old rugby player and turn them into a twenty five year old rugby player all of our other problems would, would go away. I think the key thing here is the in terms of uh, advice or suggestions to clubs—it's—it's it's like you would do with any—and um, I know clubs don't see themselves as businesses, but in reality, that's what they are: um, small businesses that have customers, stroke players coming into them. And in any other walk of life, you would—you would listen to your players, and you'd engage with your players, and you provide something that that they wanted. That means a, an offer that they want at a time that they they want at a frequency that they want and I think the insight that we have on you know adult male players is people don't live their lives anymore around 2 30 or 3 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon week in week out it everything is a lot more fluid a lot more instant a lot less organized a lot less structured and yet as a sport we are still incredibly structured in terms of um, when matches are going to kick off, where we're going to play, um, who the opposition's going to going to going to be, and the expectation that we want people to play week in, week out. Um, it's uh, you know, it's a huge commitment, isn't it? If you go back, go back to the start of professional rugby, which is when many people would argue the whole thing began to change, or the introduction of leagues before that in the eighties and nineties. You know. Shops were, shops were shut on Sundays, they're shut at five o'clock on a Saturday. There was no online shopping. Um, the, the, the whole world has changed and yet we have to keep questioning how much we've maybe changed it. Some of the success in the growth of the women's game has been a much more flexible, um, playing offer, um, less structure around maybe some of the leagues. Uh, now, that's not to say that there isn't a place for that. Not everybody wants that, but a more fluid and a more dynamic environment. If somebody wants to play rugby eight times a year, w- w- once a month, where's the opportunity and the offer for for them? Um, so I think uh, ad- adaptability here is going to be key. Uh, more local fixtures. Uh, how many people nowadays can commit the whole of Saturday to travelling, that yes, there's still a group of people that want to do that and there probably always will be, um, but equally, not everybody is in that position. You know, what's wrong with pitching up on a Friday night? Um, there are people that work Saturdays now. There are people that, I know there are people that work Friday nights too, but you know what I'm saying, a more flexible, adaptable uh, playing offer, which is how many other sports nowadays will run and how a certain generation of players will want on and expect to consume their, their rugby.
1: Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. Uh, I think, um, there's, I think your club, clubs clubs have to do something slightly different now, I think. And, uh, you know, evening rugby might be the way forward. Um, uh, and being, di- if you can, if you can adapt your club to be different from the club down the road, then you might be able to attract the the player. Oh, uh, Steve has disappeared. Ah, okay. So let's fill some time. Uh, who's watching? Um, Rugby so line. Thank you very much for everything you do for us, uh, Mark Brian, um, Thank you for your question. As soon as Steve comes back, we are going to go with that. Heather too um samantha thank you oh, steve's coming back in now let's pop
0: up a pop-up came up sean that kicked me out i don't know if what it was make, uh,
1: some edit for the podcast more work to do tonight <laughs> welcome back <laughs> so um so on that then uh we were just about um what the male participation thing um situation is is there a thinking that the the Inner Warrior series for women works so well over the last couple of years. Is there uh, some marketing strategy that we could put together that for exactly the same, but for the men's game?
0: Yeah, I think it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because where the women's game's been really successful and a lot of the growth has come from has been... um, Uh, introducing uh, women, let's say, between the ages of 16 and 24, I'm generalising, but there's been significant growth in that area and indeed with older players. And yet, if we talk to many male clubs and you talk to many males in that age group, they wouldn't even think about going and playing rugby for the first time. So if you think about it as a recruitment strategy, there's a huge amount that the men's game can learn from the women's game. Uh, Talk to many coaches and you talk to them about how easy is it to introduce a 25-year-old male to rugby, and you'll get the answer it's really hard, you know, it's difficult because everybody else has been playing for years and it's an early skill set and all that sort of stuff. And yet yeah, those same coaches actually find it incredibly easy to introduce women to the game because that's what that's what we've had to do. So I I find that a real interesting, a really interesting challenge that you know the perception is you need to have started playing male rugby in your teens, and yet it's absolutely not the perception in the in the in the women's game. And I just think something like in a warrior where um, it's tried to actually play to many of the things that 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 the women want from their sporting experience, where you know they do want that physicality, they do want that teamwork, they do want to be doing something that they've never tried before. Um, and then the challenge is is getting that across into a um into a male a male market and i think particularly um something we look at constantly is other team sports so other team sport players who might want something that's a little bit more a little bit more physical uh but if you're an experienced team sport player to go along and sort of just slot into a a fourth 15 or a third 15 or a second 15 or in your case, Sean, just going to be a 16th player in your club. It's actually quite intimidating. <laughs> Absolutely, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: is, is, is returned ready for rugby? Could that be marketed as the way in for those types of, uh, sort of older males?
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the I'm, I'm am a, a great fan. Hmm. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm a great I'm a big fan of of um, non-contact or reduced-contact rugby. Many people will say it's not the real thing, but um, you know, I would rather have those players playing that with an oval-shaped ball in a rugby club than I would, you know, going down to a local running club or going and playing five-a-side football or you know going off and playing mixed netball or whatever it whatever it might be. Um, And I think the other um, the other thing about, um, yeah, I mean, Ready for Rugby, for those that haven't picked it up, is sort of the a, a tennis side adapt, adaptation of touch that we've um, introduced to try and get rugby back on the agenda at, at the moment when we know we can't do uh, full contact rugby. Um, and what we've done is taken the bones of the touch game, increased the number of players and... Um, made it look a bit more like rugby union and and many people will know it as two touch. It's a, it's a just training ac- activity really ad- adapted, but allows players to break the defensive line has a bit more of a sort of invasion game feel to it and is, is multi-phased. And um, I think one of the unintended consequences of it could be uh, an ability to play in a mixed format, uh, which we clearly have got in touch, but we haven't really ever had in rugby beyond but once we get into our teenage years. And actually, when we, um, we profiled it for the media 10 days ago, when we, we announced it, uh, we had some um, 15, 16-year-old boys and girls playing together. And um, it's a bit of an unintended consequence to see it, but they enjoyed it hugely because they were playing together. And there's another retention opportunity there, and I mean, believe me, the boys were absolutely blown away with the skill level of the girls. Um, it was superb to watch. So I, I think there is something in that. We've just got to we've got to break some of the traditionalism. Uh, if if we you know are we really worried if we've you know if we've got a hundred players now in our club and we've still got a hundred players in ten years' time, but they're playing some different sorts of rugby, including full contact fifteen aside but including some non-contact rugby is that not is that not the sign of something that's adapting well and actually keeping players in our in our sport
1: definitely uh, 100% agree more people better um okay so yeah i think Ready for rugby is, is a great idea we played it last weekend um how far? I know you can't answer this particularly well, but how far away are we to moving to the next <laughs> stage of of the of the roadmap? I, I know it's probably the it's the it's the million dollar question uh, and one you can't answer, but uh, what what indications have the government uh, um, yourselves sort of been given that we might be moving to the next stage of the roadmap?
0: yeah, so we we'll um the next stage on the roadmap is basically saying that we would move to which would be stage D um, on an A to F um, where F is the full contact game. Um, so stage D would see us allowing inter club um, ready for rugby. So it would allow your club Sean to go down the road to another another club. It would allow a group of four clubs to come together and play a sort of a tournament type um, activity um uh now it's still non-contact but at least it's allowing us to get back to being able to visit another club and play something vaguely competitive and the other part of stage d would be to reintroduce some non-contact training um now the first part of that is within our own control the um inter uh matches the second part of it requires government approval again so we'll, we submit tomorrow, um, actually a plan, um, for, uh, um, contact. Um, we've had to set out in there clearly what will and won't be allowed. So, you know, it's, it's some, it's restricted activity. Um, it's going to be around, um, a reduced height tackle in training. Uh, it's going to be around a bit of line out work, but line out work that is just going to have to, um, as the ball comes down, be passed out. We, we, we're not in a position where we can start to form balls or anything, um, and there's going to be some limited work around the breakdown. But at least what that would allow, if we could get that in, is um, some of the physicality to come back into the into the sport. Um, I, I'm not sure if people are fully aware of the process that we've had to go through to get it approved by government, but you have to conduct a pretty extensive, uh, what they call an exposure risk assessment. So you've got to basically analyse a full game situation and you've got to analyse every player, every position and the amount of time that they have face-to-face contact with other players and whether that is classed as fleeting, which is less than one second or non-fleeting, which is between a second and three seconds and then if it's over three seconds, you're right in the high level danger zone and you then have to play out that risk assess, that exposure risk framework against every position on the park. And what it shows in our sport is unsurprisingly that the sort of three really high red risk areas are in the scrum and actually is the, it's the setting of the scrum rather than the scrum itself but the, the setting of the scrum just means we're in that red zone for a longer than acceptable period. In the tackle, and particularly the upright tackle, and again, if you just think there about um, a tackler running at pace at a tackle E, and the ta- as they hit, the tackler tends to um, exhale, the tackle e tends to inhale, and everything we know about this virus is that's, that's where the problem is. And then the third area is around the the, the line-out. It's, it's not so much the line-out per se. It's the the mall that ensues from the um, from line-out. So those are the remain the really challenging areas. And they're just so red on a, a risk table. Uh, you may be aware Rugby League have got back, but Rugby League have removed the scrum. Um, and of course, after a tackle in Rugby League, there's no breakdown. So you, it's just so... So different. Um, so I would hope that we may move on at some point. I mean, hopefully early September. But this will all be now down to government and what they they make of our plans. But to get some contact training back in training sessions, I'm sure many people would um, would welcome.
1: Itching, I'm sure, itching to get. Back. Yeah. I can't say I am. To be fair. Uh, come on need to lose some timber (laughs) (laughs) it won't be long lockdown's not been kind kind. (laughs) Uh, let's uh we'll move on then uh why this is from the swanley uh why are women's teams still waiting for their leagues to be announced when uh were released on the 15th of july
0: yeah, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna be totally honest on this one. I've I've tried to I've been trying to get an answer while we've been on the call because I saw it in the comments box when I locked on, and nobody's got back to me yet. So it might be one, Sean. I need to get back to you on, and you'll have to pull up on the on the website. Whoa, whoa. In the uh, I know in the early uh, no point in me making up an answer <laughs> in the um in the early stages. No, of that's, this, I
1: appreciate that.
0: Yeah, in the early stages of this, the main reason was the size of the leagues. And the you, you, people hopefully will have seen the three the three windows that were created, and that the, the reality is that the larger the league, the um, less flexibility there is. Most of the women's leagues are significantly smaller, and hence the, the there was the 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 the, the, the uh, urgency. Knowing that we were unlikely to go into that first phase, just the pressure just wasn't on um but i totally get the comments in the in the in the box and i um i don't have a definitive answer for you but i will i will I promise to get back to you on that and with a full explanation cuz it's a very fair point
1: i appreciate that steve um you said it could have been quite easy to make up an answer but you didn't so i i really appreciate that uh but keeping on the theme of the women's game uh and the brilliant women's game that we've got over here in england um this is from Heather. When can ladies' start, aside start playing games on Saturdays alongside men's games? Sundays get low attendance and less coverage coming.
0: Yeah, I mean, in a sense, no, no reason why that shouldn't happen. In the same way as there's nothing to stop a men's fixture happening on a, a Sunday or a Friday night. This is really down to you know the two teams that are playing agreeing that they they want to do that, and then they. Um, I, I'm going to say the, the modernisation of some of the thinking, maybe in some of the clubs, um, but I would encourage people to, to, you know, to try and take action there. I know it's happened um, on a few occasions, on particularly on some of the artificial pitches, where it's clearly a, an easier um, thing to do to play two back-to-back uh, matches. I mean, I, I, I think it's a, you know, I think it's a great move. Um, I think it can only help. Uh, club revenues um you know maybe maybe there's some on saturdays and maybe there's some on sundays and you you know work it out and see what 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 works best but it it, it takes us doesn't it to a typical sort of a southern hemisphere model where often you'll get five or six games literally played back to back on a on a day from from sort of junior games in the morning through to second 15s women's teams um men's uh, first 15s playing matches back to back one of the challenges we have is our pitches and our weather um and there there aren't that many grass natural turf pitches particularly in the the wetter months that will that will wear back to back matches but um i'd you know i'd be a great supporter of it and i'd say you know give give it a give it a go in the same way as i think you know back to back friday night matches with floodlights it can only help the social side of the club, I would think.
1: Well, definitely, it's a, it's another day for revenue, isn't it? And that's what the clubs are crying out. Um, just like you said, with the, when when we can get back to intra intra ready for rugby, they uh, you know, getting people back in clubhouses and money behind the bar. It, it'll all benefit each other in the end. let's so this is we've, we've we've answered the first part of this question already uh but let's there's a second part of this that i believe uh what is happening with the borrowing or loaning of players from for example the Tyrrells premiership um we'll have squads of 40 where do the other 18 goes that aren't in a match day 22 all right, it's a question, I guess, but uh, I don't know how if you're able to answer that one or not.
0: Yeah, I mean, some of this is about player availability as well, isn't it? And um, yeah, I was really struck uh, recently. Um, yeah. well, it's not that recently now. It would have been probably September, October time. Um, time has flown during lockdown. Um, and it goes back to a similar question about the, the men's piece earlier and the challenge of having a squad. Um And I know the director of rugby in this particular club had showed me his sort of whiteboard of um, a 60 players and how there were only actually 20 available for that weekend. Another 20 who, so a third of the players available, a third of the players who were unavailable due to work commitments, holiday, you know, just not, and the other third that were unavailable due to injury and not necessarily heavy, hard on rugby injuries, but, things that again 20 30 years ago people would have played through so soft tissue injuries or or whatever um and i think there's an element of that in that 40 person squad as well that just that it, i think it'd be very rare that of a 40 person squad another 18 wouldn't wouldn't be available would would be available there'll always be an element of those that are um that are injured. And then obviously the important thing is that the other players are enabled to get um, appropriate game time with, uh, you know, with other, with other, with other clubs, but it certainly won't be the sort of 50, 50 numbers. I don't think that we're talking about all the evidence evidences and you know this as well, if not better than I, much bigger squad now needed to get out a, um, a match day, a match day squad.
1: yeah definitely uh, the clock and uh we're approaching sort of five minutes. So I just want there's well I'll, I'll ask you one more. just you know uh, I really appreciate your time. Um, so this is from Chris. Do you think grassroots rugby will be playing inter club fixtures? We've, we've touched on that without uh, in the new year uh, meaning of course uh, bigger lads will be lost. the beauty of the game will be lost to many. Uh, is this a yeah. worry?
0: Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's a very real worry. Um uh and if anybody's got any ideas about how we can do that whilst not, you know, transmitting COVID, it's um it's 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 one for it's one for inter into government really. I, I worry yeah, I worry a lot about it. I worry not just about, you know, the the bigger lads that are playing in the front row and the and the scrum. I, I just worry that for a lot of people, um Uh, they they, want to play competitive fixtures. They want to play against another team. And I worry that, um, you know, if other sports are are able to steal a march on us, and and this is not about them being better prepared or having better data or being able to write a submission better, it's literally the face-to-face contact that we we have to deal with you know if we think we're badly off um imagine being judo or taekwondo or something like that at the moment because they're really struggling to get any sort of activity going uh people may have seen this week net netball quite significantly affected by this um just because there's a there's a huge amount of face to face contact in 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 netball so they've had to adapt their community game significantly um you know, the cru- crux ultimately is we we'll, we'll have to tr- we'll have to try and engineer something won't we for the, um, for, the for the forwards to, to do. I mean I, I would still be uh, I'd still be optimistic that towards the end of the year, um, if not the start of next year that we'll be back at some point with contact rugby. Um, but if we get a second spike and it's a big second spike, uh, I think there's some pretty significant implications of that. Um, And I think even as we have to be aware as a sport, even if we are allowed to get playing again, what we don't yet know is the impact that this is going to have on some players, uh, family members that don't want them to go back into that sort of environment players themselves that don't want to get back into that sort of environment that the noises are all positive at the moment, but the longer this goes on into winter and then the weather starts to cut in as well. And, Christmas starts to cut in and all of the other things that that normally disrupt rugby throughout the season. Um, you know, being realistic about it, our challenge is getting bigger and bigger and there's been totally honest about it. There's only so much we can all do about this. There's an element of this that's just literally out of our hands. You know, we're, we're all working 24 seven with all the challenges that we've got at the moment, but there is an element of, there's no easy way to fix some of this.
1: No, uh, I, I don't know if you saw, but we ran we run a survey uh, sort of in the middle of lockdown. Uh, I'm just reading it because I, I, I would have brought it up earlier. But uh, one in 20 players said that they wouldn't be returning to rugby at all uh, post-COVID. Uh, and one in 10 are unsure whether they would ever play again. Yeah. So that's quite a big number. Quite a, a, a lot of people, uh, we, we did we got 250 responses to our survey and that was that was sort of the big takeaways from it that one, you know one in 20 are saying that they're not going to play rugby at all so i, I think yeah. a massive worry about what is what is next uh, and what happens after that um and also on the, on the bigger the- on the bigger player on the, the bigger players part of the question sorry steve um no. are, are we almost too healthy <laughs> are are we almost pr- promoting too much. And, uh, this will sound silly to anyone that's that's watching, but promoting. You know, pr- we're we're looking for a next generation of forwards and, and front row forwards. Uh, are, are, are we being too healthy, perhaps? <laughs>
0: well you mean there's not? I don't know if you walk walk, walk around the uh, walk walk around the streets you still see quite a few people don't you it's just we need to um, we need to get them back into our back into our game I mean I think it's been interesting in lockdown as well the reports that you hear are that there's and it was one of our concerns as we started to think about getting rugby back that half of our players were probably going to be fitter than ever and half of our players were going to be a lot less fit than ever because people had taken a choice hadn't they? and and either they'd you know they'd bumped the uh, the pounds and the stones on or they'd actually taken them off so and then you get an even an even bigger um mismatch out on the field
1: uh, yeah perhaps perhaps a comment just coming in. given you ready to rugby etc perhaps Philly boots should be running your survey perhaps. Perhaps yeah. You know, perhaps there's a conversation after this about how uh, we can you know, f- help that and, and get things going. I've got a great idea about f- about four team ready for rugby, so uh, we'll, we can have a conversation with that about that another day. Uh, again, right. Steve, I don't want to take up any more of your time, but thank you so much for for coming on, uh, being so open, being really honest um, about everything that's going on. Um, I'd love to do this again one day uh, if you're up for it um, I'm sure everyone watching here is has really appreciated uh, your time um, is there anything else that you wanted to sort of bring up or uh, talk about briefly uh, before, before we call it a night
0: no, I mean just just if I can just finish on thank thank thanking you for the opportunity and for all the the great work that you're doing. You know, just bringing a community of people like this together is is invaluable, particularly at a time like this. So so thank you to to you and you know I'm happy to do this whenever um, to, to to people that have um, that have been on the on the uh, on the on the. the uh, I don't know what you call this, really. What do we call it nowadays? Whatever. The people that have been listening in, um, thanks to you. And please take our thanks back to um, all of your clubs. You know, we, we are privileged enough to get paid to do this. The voluntary work that goes on now, clubs length and breadth of the country, the sport wouldn't survive without it. So huge thank you on that. And um, I'm, I'm very happy to keep dialogue going with anybody that wants to. Our email address is pretty easy at the RFU to work out. It's first name... There's no dot in the middle. It's just first name, second name at rfu.com. Um, I genuinely don't mind um, any thoughts. Always open to them. Um, the more there's no such thing as a bad idea at the moment. So please, if you've got any thoughts or you've got any more questions, don't don't feel afraid of uh, of, of pitching them in. Thanks again.
1: That's, uh, yeah, that's absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, if you want to get in touch, get in touch with Steve that way. Um, Well, yeah, again, thank you so much. Uh, Let's, again, once uh, we know a bit more what's going on, um, uh, again, I I don't want to keep repeating myself, but I really appreciate your time. Uh, To everyone watching, thank you very much. You can watch this on demand on Facebook, on YouTube, um, as of now. Uh, It'll be a podcast tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock in the morning, so on Apple, Spotify, Google, everywhere. Uh, we'll stick links up um, uh, yeah, and join us again next week uh, for another great topic we're going to talk about um, uh, mini and junior player re- recruitment and retention uh, next week so we've got another great panel lined up uh, so tune in then um, if you want to know anything on FY if you've never met or heard of what we do uh, yeah go and check us out and uh, we'll see you again thank you very much Steve thank you
0: Cheers, no problem. Take care. Cheers.
1: Thank you to everyone who watched and got their questions in. Uh, Thank you once again to Steve Granger for giving up his time to chat to me. Don't forget to join us on facebook.com slash Rugby live every Thursday evening, and get involved in the discussions. And for all of the information on Philly Boots, please visit fybrugby.com. I've been Sean Phelan, and you've been listening to the Philly Boots Rugby Roundtable.